This is episode 41 with award-winning journalist, former editor-in-chief of Running Times and shoe editor for Runner's World, and author of the new book, Run Strong, Stay Hungry, Mr. Jonathan Beverly. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and thank you so much for being here with me today. We're talking with author and coach Jonathan Beverly about how to run for a lifetime, the longevity-boosting strategies and mindsets that will help you become a lifelong competitor. But first, a big shout-out to Ben, a fan of this podcast who left us an awesome review on iTunes that really made my day. If you want to put a smile on my face, this is how to do it. Ben wrote, I am really enjoying the podcast, Jason's love for the sport, and passion for helping people keep me excited about trying new workouts, styles of shoes, diet plans, and, well, just about anything running related. The podcast and his website are a great resource for anyone looking to either start running, stay injury-free, or bust some new PRs. I highly recommend it and will continue to listen as long as he puts them out. Well, Ben, I'll make a deal with you. I'll keep publishing episodes as long as you keep listening. A big thanks for this review. This is literally the best way to give me feedback about the show, and I really do appreciate it. Also, today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Inside Tracker. They allow any athlete to get a comprehensive blood test that catches all manners of deficiencies. It gives you both diet and lifestyle suggestions to fix those deficiencies. Also, you can perform better and race faster. They're offering 10% off any test at InsideTracker.com with code STRENGTHRUNNING at checkout. And make sure you listen to the end of today's episode where I talk about my results with Inside Tracker. Okay, on to today's show with coach, author, journalist, and runner himself, Jonathan Beverly. He's the former editor-in-chief of Running Times and the shoe editor for Runner's World, And in 2006, he won the Journalistic Excellence Award from the Roadrunners Club of America. And you might recognize him from episode 32 of this podcast, where we talked about running form and the timeless principles that help you run more efficiently, economically, and with fewer injuries. Today, we're talking about his new book, Run Strong, Stay Hungry, and what he learned interviewing 50 runners who have been competing and training for decades. What can their longevity be attributed to? How do they avoid burnout? What keeps them motivated to keep running after 30 years? And interestingly enough, Jonathan didn't just talk to pro runners like Dina Castor or Bill Rogers. No, he talked with normal runners like you and me, people who weren't blessed with elite genetics. And this is what I think makes this book so powerful. It draws lessons from all runners rather than just the best runners. I've also made it really easy for you to check out his book. Just go to strengthrunning.com slash Jonathan. That's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N. And you'll be directed to more info about this book. Okay, guys, let's dive right in. This is going to be a good one. Please enjoy my conversation with Mr. Jonathan Beverly. Jonathan, welcome back to the podcast. You're one of the few repeat guests so far. It is my pleasure to be here. I feel like I'm hosting Saturday Night Live for the second time. (laughs) If only it were that prestigious. So today we're talking about a topic that I think is really interesting, running longevity, or in other words, how to run for decades. I was really interested in getting you back on and talk more about this because 
having a long running career is not actually super easy. I think because of the annual injury rate as high as it is among runners, it can be really hard to run consistently, especially as we get older uh, and become masters runners. So um, are <laughs> are we doomed to short careers or or is there hope? Well, I, I felt uh, in my years of knowing runners and, and watching runners that uh, there are a few out there that, that just keep going and keep doing well. Uh, and I was intrigued by these people. Um, some of them I worked with, like Roger Robinson, and he, he ran internationally for England and New Zealand and set master's records in his 40s. And he's like 78 now. And it's kind of artificial knee and still still pushing it still going out there trying to trying to race and do his best um and then people obviously like like joan benoit samuelson who seems ageless um but there are others uh more like me you know more local competitors that that always end up you know in the results boards always out there doing it so that that was my idea to say uh, what, what are the keys to these people you know interview as many of them as i could and and see if there's commonalities among them yeah, and that's what you did in your your new book, Run Strong, Stay Hungry. You interviewed about 50 runners on how they stayed runners over the course of their lives. And w- what I think is really interesting is that you didn't just interview former pro runners or Olympians, people like Joan Benoit Samuelson. You know, she's definitely, I think, one of the, the poster women for still running at at a fairly high level later in life but you know you spoke with normal runners just like us and so why do you think that's important why can't we just look to the elite runners as they get older uh and why is it important to look at normal runners like us really good question and i think it's important because obviously the elites are there because they're gifted um so you know if if the same genes that took them to the olympic gold perhaps maybe that's the only explanation you know you know why can joan keep running the way she is because she's joan (laughs) and that doesn't help us at all so i wanted to look at people who uh not necessarily you know best runners to start or you know made it to that level but have continued continued to to run and continue to compete and continue to have success at at the level that they are yeah and i almost think it's a skill to be able to have a long running career and that skill is really separate from your genetic talents that you might have been born with. Um, and, and you broke down all the lessons that you learned from all these runners into what you call the nine keys to staying in the race. Uh, so I'd like to talk about some of what you think are the most important strategies for longevity. Uh, so I guess if you, if you had to choose, which one might you recommend first for the runner who, who wants to run tomorrow, next week, and four decades from now? Yeah, I think uh, of nine, the one that sort of falls at the center. In fact, I tried to diagram this once, and it, and it got too convoluted to be to be some. You know, a diagram has to be simple. But at the center is this idea of of running by feel, training by feel, learning to pay attention to your body, and and having your training, your race goals, your your race pace, uh, your recovery times, all of that based on your own knowledge of your body, um, and that seemed to be key not only for people's success, but, but really key when it comes to longevity because, uh, because that solves almost all the problems you know, as far as how much, you know, how much should you, you step down as you get older, how, how much recovery time you need, what pace should you be running. If you're paying attention to your body, your body's going to tell you that. You don't have to follow formulas. You don't have to adjust. And then it also uh, 
helps with with the other side, which is the huge side. Even more important, I think, than physically keeping going is is mentally being able to to still care and be challenged and and be motivated to keep going. Now, wait a minute, Jonathan. We all know that if you don't if if you run by feel and you don't put your run on Strava, then it doesn't count. Okay. <laughs> how 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 are you supposed to justify these two truths here? That is a good one. And uh, I was thinking about that on my run today. In fact, it was the, um, it really is a, a different mindset as far as, as far as training. Um, I think we really have, have bought into an erroneous idea that you, you, you know, you set a time or you set a goal and then you work really hard to get to that as opposed to you, you try to be your best and whatever that ends up is going to be what it ends up, you know? So, uh, but yeah, in terms of the Strava, in terms of the, uh, all, all the, the tracking, we so again, we have the idea that if, if, uh, if our, if our log book doesn't say we did 80 mile week, we didn't train hard. Uh, whereas 80 mile week might've been the worst thing for you. You know, you could have, you know, maybe 56 mile week was a really good training week or maybe a hundred mile week. <laughs> and it, if you're paying attention to your body, you, your body will tell you what that is, but it is a huge mind shift for most of us. Yeah. And of course I'm, I'm just being facetious here. I actually recently within the last year or so downgraded my tech so that now I'm wearing a, you know, $35 Timex running watch where, uh, now I'm strictly running by feel and by time. So, you know, a lot of days I'm like, okay, my run today is going to be 60 minutes or 45 minutes or two hours, you know, whatever it might be. But right. I'm not saying I'm going to go run 10 miles at 7.08 mile pace. And I will say I'm not staring at my watch nearly as much. I'm not being so preoccupied with pace. And my enjoyment of running is a lot higher right now. I just, you know, if I'm tired, I'll just run a little slower. If I'm feeling good, I'll pick up the pace a little bit. And 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 if if i'm understanding correctly that's kind of what running by feel means it means listening to your body on a daily basis so that you're not doing things that your body isn't ready to do so in other words if you go on an easy run and you think that your easy pace is 8 minutes you're just going to try to hit that 8 minute pace right on the dot for all mm-hmm. of your easy runs even if you didn't get a lot of sleep the night before. Maybe you didn't have your coffee in the morning. You're a little bit cranky and undercaffeinated. It's really hot out. There's a lot of factors that might actually slow your easy pace down a lot. And if we're not listening to the feedback we're getting from our body, if we're not listening to the feedback we're getting from, you know, say the weather, then we're really just going to be a slave to our device and run faster than we should. And and I think that's when runners get into problems with not recovering properly, being too fatigued or, or sore to nail their 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 higher quality workouts. And and you just run into injuries and burnout and, and these high expectations that a lot of runners have for themselves, which is normal. I think a lot of runners are, you know, type A folks who who really like to, you know, track everything and really execute everything down to the letter. But the end of the day it may not actually be the best thing for you for your overall development as an athlete and your longevity in the sport yeah that's a really good summary uh, i think the, the other element to that you focused on the, the pace of each day but the other element is even what you do each day i mean several of the runners top runners um steve cartalia he qualified olympic trials in ten thousand and uh, and the marathon now he's 51 and still runs something like a 116 half marathon but he says you know 
I try to run every day and I want to run fast some days. And that's about as structured as it gets. Uh, that people, a lot of the people that I interviewed didn't have, you know, Tuesday speed workout and, and planned exactly what it's going to be. They went out and they ran and, and the days they felt good, they let it roll. And the days they didn't, they, they took it easy. Um, and again, that seems to be a better way of training than again, have to have a, this huge structured plan that you usually you, you incorporated from somebody else. It's not the best plan for you. And it's not necessarily the right days for doing things. If it's if it's twenty miler one day, if you feel good, go along. Don't have to do it on Saturday at this pace. Yeah, I think uh, you know one of the things that was both a, a good thing for me, but also a bad thing was that I started running in high school on the cross country team, and then I ran track, uh, indoor and outdoor, and then I went to college and I ran all three seasons for all four years, and I got really used to the routine. Of training. So that was, you know, in college, it was Monday workout, Wednesday workout, Friday, easy day, uh, Saturday race or workout, and then a Sunday long run. And then you just rinsed and repeat. And that was pretty much the schedule for four years of college. And, you know, I got that in my head as that's how you have to train. And today, I'm doing things um, much more differently. I'm, you know, because I'm not right now, you know, formally training for for a specific race. You know, my workout might be on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday, depending on how I feel. And it really depends on um, how I feel and also what I've done previously in the week. And, uh, you know, that that was almost like sacrilege to me. You know, I had to um, really make sure that, uh, I was, I was okay with that. And it took a little bit of adjustment, but you know, I'll tell you, I'm feeling a lot better now. And I feel like I enjoy running a lot more that I've, you know, I'm not holding myself to a specific schedule because I'm not training for a race and mentally I'm in a much better spot. That's awesome. Sounds like you're, you're well on the way to what I learned from these lifetime runners. Yeah, part of it was was not running 90 miles a week anymore. Uh, I think that was that was probably not good for my for my longevity in the sport. Yeah, but it was good. It was good for performance. That's for sure. Um, now, okay, so we've talked about running by feel and kind of listening to your body and really paying attention to all the signals that you're getting. Um, but you found eight other different keys to, you know, what you say, what you call staying in the race, or in other words, staying a runner for a long period of time. What are some of the other really important aspects of longevity when it comes to running? One that surprised me some, and uh, I think it, it, it is counterintuitive as well, is humility and hunger, I called it. Um, and it was interesting doing these interviews. One of the first I did, I told you about Roger Robinson and and we were sitting down at Boston Marathon, and, and about three minutes in, he said, you know, I never really was that good. Here's a guy who set you know, world records, master's records. And I thought, well, he's particularly humble. But it became a refrain. Uh, almost every one of the 50 people, sometimes, you know, they, when they talk, they, they'd start about when they started running, how they fell in love with it. And then they'd say, and I, I, I wasn't that good. I didn't have much talent. I, did, I, never, I never could really beat people. Uh, I think that that start and that attitude was huge um you the people who think they're good or have success tend to get stuck on the success and and the the competitors the ones who run for life are ones who have uh, they love to to run and they love to compete they don't necessarily love to win it's not about it's not about the the external success it's about the process Um, and the process starts with saying i wasn't that good but i got better 
Um, so they're, they're humble and they're hungry. They always have an idea that they could get better. Uh, and that, that continues, even, even when they're not setting PRs anymore, there's still a feeling of, well, I could, I could be better. You know, right now I'm 53 and came off a little bit of injury this summer. Um, and, but my feeling is, okay, you know, now it's time to get back into a consistent schedule and see if I, how I can get better from here. I think that's a really important important key that's that's kind of overlooked. I think people think that instead, you know, you find your gifts and you exploit those gifts. Uh, these people aren't ones that were say I was really good. It was like I wasn't that good, but I got better, and that's going to set you up for a lifetime. Yeah, I think this sense of constant improvement is uh, such a unique. Uh, thing and and I think it's really powerful uh, for longevity and it really speaks to kind of that type A nature of runners. You know, we're always looking at ways that we can improve and and get better. Uh, and even if you know we're past our prime and we're never going to run a new personal best ever again, there's still elements of our running that we can improve uh, and maybe we can improve upon. Uh, benchmarks that are not our peak performances. Now, you did say something really interesting that I want to touch on quickly, and that was. Runners that have a long career in the sport, they love to compete. One of the things that I've run into coaching a lot of runners is that I don't think a lot of runners compete these days, and I don't think they know how to compete. A lot of runners are focused solely on time. So they're chasing that Boston qualifying time, or they want to get under 20 or 25 minutes in the 5K. And you know, you can pick almost any time-based running goal. But I think the problem with that is you're, you're not competing when you're trying to run, say, a sub-three-hour marathon or a sub-four-hour marathon. You're, you're competing against the clock, but that's mm-hmm. not where a lot of the magic in running is. A lot of the, you know, the power of running is competing with other runners. Um, can you talk about some of the examples that you found in your research for this book of runners who are just competing against their competitors because that's you know that's who you're supposed to compete with is a competitor uh not necessarily the clock yeah this was interesting as well that i found runners they had a variety of ways of competing but it was all based as you said on on competing against someone else um kevin polk is a he's an executive at nike but he's uh, you know gone back in his master's years to to running on a track the 800 meters and he says yeah they're your heat is all people your age. There's huge respect, and everybody's well trained, and you're trying to run your best against that, you know, against that cohort. So it doesn't matter that he's now running two fifteen eight hundreds, and he used to run one fifty two. It's, it's you're in the race, you're doing your best, you're trying to to beat these people. There's tactics, there's all of that going on. It, it's it's exactly the same as it was when he was twenty five. Um, others. I prefer like cross country and cross country team masters team competition. Um, just, just age grading, age, age grading is different. Age grading is you know, a way to look at the times. And that's important for those of us if you don't have a rival, but, but it's still, it, it's still, it's like you against the clock, as you said, but, um, but age, age groupings is, is becomes important. You know, I think open, open runners tend to sort of disdain it. You know, an age grouper is one who, who can't make it in the open, well, this is kind of time they're going to, if they're going to keep going, they're going to have to respect that this is, you're, you're limiting the field to the people who are like you. And then you're saying, how well can I do against this? And that can keep you going for a lifetime. One of the things that you do in your book that I think is great is that you focus a lot more on 
the psychological side of running than you do on the physiological side of things. So, you know, of all of these different principles that you um, that you've researched and found to be really important for longevity, there's only a couple of them are, are actually physiological. Uh, and then the vast majority of them, all of the rest are psychological. Um, so I, I'd love to hear more of your thoughts on kind of the makeup, the mental makeup of a runner who is going to stick with the sport for their entire life. One of the one of the keys I ended up writing two chapters about, which is adaptability, which makes sense. I mean, if you're going anything to survive, you have to adapt. Um, but the, so one chapter is adaptable goals and the other is adaptable training. Um, and it comes down to having a mindset of, I'm going to do the best I can today. And I need to adapt that. I, need, I can't be tied to, as we talked to, a rigid schedule. I can't be tied to a, a certain pattern of who I run with. I can't be tied to uh, certain times, what's a good time or not. Um, it, it has to switch from uh, from external measures to more internal measures of, of effort. And I think it, it sounds simple. Uh, it, it, a lot of this relates to the idea of, of flow, the six at Mahali's concept that, you know, that joy comes at the point where you're high challenge meets high skill. And when the two are balanced, you're challenging your skill, then you have, you have this, you know, flow is the, is the experience of being totally in the moment. But more than that, it's a feeling of, of satisfaction and success and that you're, you're competent and, and engaging with the world. Um, so you have to, it, you have to adjust both of them, both the challenges and the, and the skill are constantly adjusting. It sounds easy, but I think one of the things I found listening to these people and listening to people who stopped is that we tend to not see both as adjustable. It said there's an absolute. You know, you, you as you talked about when you looked at your watch, you, you've changed from the from the Garmin where you where you run along feeling comfortable, and you look down and you say 8:30. That can't be 8:30. You know, that's disgusting. <laughs> there's an emotion attached to it. Um, you got to get away to find some distance from that emotion and and just say, okay, this is this is the effort, this is the challenge right now, and I'm bringing everything I can to meet this challenge. Um, that adaptability will will see you through all the changes necessary. Then there's some real practical things, just interesting things. Almost everyone, and I started asking this, said they've done most of their miles alone. Um, And they say they like doing it with a group, but they have to, you have to be able to run alone in order to have a long career because because that, again, gives you adaptability and gives you a a chance to to learn some of these things of running by feel, of, of judging it by yourself. I remember after college, I was commuting 75 minutes into Boston for work, and I had to. I was running 80, 85 miles a week at the time, and I would wake up at 5 a.m. every day. I was out the door at 5:30. This was in you know a Boston winter. I was. I did all of my running alone in the dark in the freezing cold, and it was absolutely miserable. Uh, so, do we have to suffer through all these lonely runs, uh, or? You know, are you saying that we shouldn't run with other people or merely should we have the capacity to be able to train alone? I think you need to have the, both the capacity and the ability to, I mean, you talk about suffering through it. I, st- I still think you still, because you did it, you enjoyed it, right? You enjoyed the, the process. You enjoyed being out there. Uh, In if, hindsight, if it, sure. 
<laughs> you would rather have a training partner at the time, yeah. But more, yeah, more importantly is the capacity to the ability to say this is something that's important. This is something I'm going to do, and and have them do it. You don't need somebody else in order to to be out there. I think it's always interesting to have you know to use training partners as a strategic tool. So if you're going to you know be doing a really important long run. Um, and you have someone to run with you for that, you know, that's great. Or if you're doing a, uh, challenging workout where you need someone next to you to feed off of, to draft behind, to push you, you know, those are great opportunities to run with other people. But, uh, at the same time, you know, you kind of have to be able to go out and grind a 20 mile long run by yourself. If, you know, you're going to have any chance of say being a, a good marathoner just because, you know, you're, you're going to be grinding pretty much by yourself the whole time in, in a marathon. So from a performance perspective, you know, I, I see a lot of value in using teammates or, or training partners to help you get to a new level. But mentally speaking, I think it's important to develop the toughness that you get from, from training alone and doing workouts alone. So a certain balance, I think, is, is certainly helpful. I agree. Now you have a chapter in your book that I want to I want to talk about because I think it's it's really important and and one of the things that I try to drill into uh, my runners and that's you know runners with longevity are students of the sport you know they they know about running they they have at least a basic fundamental understanding of proper training um, let, let's talk about that how does this actually make you uh, you know have more longevity with running is that I'm. I'll be honest. I'm not 100% seeing it, even okay. though I know it's so valuable. One of the analogies I made in the book is that I think being a student in the sport is having a map versus following somebody's directions somewhere. Uh, yeah, somebody. If you have directions how to get across, yeah, across the city, you turn on this intersection and you turn on that intersection. You're fine as long as you're on the path. As soon as you get off the path you're totally lost. <laughs> you don't know where you are. I think that's uh, really key with to be as far as training and, and being a student of the sport is that even if you're following, you know, an online program or adaptable program, <clears throat> you still are just following what's there. As soon as you get off at any point and you and you're going to get off it, it, it could be, you know, on a day or you could be off by weeks. You don't know where to go. Um and you, People tend to just jump, try to get back on, you know, scramble to get back on the path so they can keep up, or they or they just fall away. Um, a student of the sport, you, you can integrate with this running by feel idea to know what the what the elements are, what needs to be done, and and combine them as needed. Uh, you don't even have to have a direction. You, you know the map. <laughs> you know how to how to how things work so that you can arrive where you want to get. Yeah, I think that's that's so critical. You know, I always say that and and this comes from a coach who writes a lot of training plans. You know, I think training plans are really important, but at the same time, I always tell runners that a training plan is like a roadmap to where you want to go. You know, you can take a detour and still get to your final destination just fine. Um uh, but it's important, I think, you know, following this analogy to understand the map so that if you do get off of your set of directions, then you, you actually know how to get back on track and get to that final destination. Um, you're, you're also uh, reminding me of my wife yelling at me that I don't know how to get anywhere unless I have my, my phone with me because I <laughs> only know how to follow directions from, from the GPS uh, map. Right. Yeah. And, and if, and if, you, if you lose the phone, 
you're you're up a creek, right? <laughs> you don't know where you are. You don't know how to get back. Uh, whereas if you knew the territory, one other thing, interesting thing that I, I found with the student of the sport is the psychological side is that as you become a student of the sport, you're, you're planning your own training. The challenge becomes as much the, the intellectual puzzle of putting together the training and seeing how your body reacts as, as the absolute results. You know, somebody else, you know, coach plans a training program for you, you follow it in order to get the result that you had planned. Um, the, as you know, putting together training programs is, is, is a challenge and a joy in itself. It, it's a, there's some satisfaction there. And I think with, with aging runners, that's even more important to say, okay, <clears throat> I'm not, you know, I'm not at 53 who I was at 35. What elements do I need to change? You, you, this whole experiment of one continues. In fact, it, it accelerates. You have to experiment more often because the change is, is greater and saying, okay, what, what, how can I get to where I want to go with this body? Um, and that allows you again to, to be, could stay motivated longer. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And it's a really interesting one because I think if we can get runners to a certain point where they do have the fundamental knowledge of, you know, basic exercise science, training theory, how runners should train, they not only are going to be able to plan their training for an upcoming race, but they're they're going to know how to modify their training plan. Uh, and, I, and I think that's where a lot of runners, uh, you know, run into some issues. You know, I always hear from runners who are like, oh, I, you know, I had to take Wednesday off. What should I do? Or, <laughs> you know, I got sick for a couple of days. What should I do? And they legitimately have no idea how to modify their week of training. And so one of the things that I'm always trying to try, trying to do is, you know, let's get you up to a basic level of proficiency with training so that you can start making some of these training decisions yourself. Um, and I, I always joke with my, my one-on-one coaching clients. You know, I say, I want to get you to the point where you say, Jason, thanks so much for everything you've done for me. You're fired. I'm going to do it by myself. Because then I know that they actually have the knowledge to succeed, and mm -hmm. you know I've I've accomplished one of my goals as their coach. Yeah, and and that type of knowledge is necessary to to really to get to the full level of running by feel, like um like Gary Allen from from Maine. He says that uh, you should become a chef, not a not following recipe. You're not taking the book and and doing exactly this as you said on Wednesday, on Thursday, and Friday. You know what the ingredients are, and you can combine them as as you feel but knowing that they all have to be there at a certain time and and how you react to them and and your best mix to make make whatever you're making you know the cake yeah not not following a recipe to make somebody else's cake right and at that point too you'll also have a better understanding of the types of workouts and uh, mileage levels that work the best for you. So if you write your own plan and you're like okay I'm going to go on the track and I'm going to do X workout today and it doesn't go well or you're just totally sore and beat up afterward for days, then you have a pretty good idea now of, okay, maybe this workout was not appropriate for me. Maybe the progression that led to this workout was not slow enough, was not comprehensive enough. And so it, it almost becomes this really nice feedback loop of you learning more and more, not only about training, but about yourself. So it really ties into that uh, running by feel uh, concept too. Uh, now, Jonathan, I want to ask you about um, surprises. You know, you kind of mentioned that the, you were surprised that a lot of lifelong runners were humble. 
What are some other surprises in your research? Because you interviewed a lot of different runners at a lot of different levels. So I'm sure you came upon, you know, a, a, a lot of different scenarios that were surprising to you. Yeah, well, one of them perhaps is, is this idea of trampling on the past. As much as we uh, we love to have the schedules every day, I think uh, runners love their logs too and love to, you know, and their their list of PRs and, and, and you build your identity on that uh, to be to be it. A lifetime runner, though, a lot of people said you had to, you had to at some point throw that out. And it has to do with honesty to say, who am I today? Not who I was, who I could be at some point, um, but this is who I am today. Um, in fact, some of the people, um, Leonard Sparandero is a, is a track runner and, and coach in California, and he actually just threw his logs away at, at, at age 40 and started over. So the first thing he did. You know, the first run he did after that was his PR, and, and he's just it's a new person. And then he did the same thing when he turned 50. Uh, and other people did, uh, you know, maybe not quite so dramatic, but still the idea that I'm not keeping track anymore because I don't want to compare. Uh, I, ha- I have to learn who I am now. So that that, that was interesting and uh, and surprising. Oh my goodness. I, I think I could never part with my old training logs. They're just like a diary of the past that <laughs> it's like sacrilege just to hear, oh, you're throwing away your logs. It's such an right. interesting insight into the types of workouts I used to run, how I felt, how I thought about running. Uh, I, I might, I might add an addendum there. Let's put those like off in the vault somewhere and you can maybe look at those, you know, in a decade but don't throw them away. No. And I think it depends on, on who you are and how well you can compartmentalize that. Uh, yeah, I, I quoted from um, the S. Naipaul novel there, which I think is a, is a great, he says, you know, you have to learn to trample on the past. It isn't easy to turn your back on the past. It's something you have to arm yourself for or grief will ambush and destroy you. I think that's, you know, some people, they can't look at it without just grief over that's who I was and not I'm now. Whereas other people like Colleen Duruk said, you know, I asked you, is it hard for you to, to be training this hard to run a three hour marathon when you used to run two twenty six? And she said, no, it's a different, it's a different time in my life. And if you could, I think that's what you're saying. And I, I'm there too. I, I like to have the logs out in the, in the barn, <laughs> but, but today I can't go look at them. I can't compare and say, this is how I trained to run, you know, my marathon PR. It's going to be totally different. I am a different person now. It's a different time in my life. Yeah, that's really important. You know, I've kind of had to come to grips with that, you know, with, you know, I have my, my third child on the way and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not able to run as much as I used to, and I'm not as young as I used to be. So I certainly have to come to grips with that. And it's, it's certainly an interesting, uh, transition. One of the things that we talked about briefly before was the idea that it's important for runners to learn how to run by themselves just to be able to go out and do your training um you know maybe in not so ideal circumstances you know maybe that's you know doing your 20 mile run all by yourself but on the flip side of that coin you know i know that there's so much value in connecting with the running community getting support uh finding a mentor or a coach who you can learn from how do you how do you think about the two sides of that coin and and encourage runners to to kind of do both? It's a good question, and I think the perhaps the answer is as you said that um, take take the opportunities as you have them, but don't rely on them. You know, that you want 
in any chance you have to to be and and one of the one of the keys i said is is staying connected and and focus more here and a lot of the, the runners are coaches or they you know volunteer local clubs or they're, they're part of the sport because because that helps you uh, one thing get out of your own head and see other runners and and be connected to them um and and the other is help you stay close to the sport at times when when your running's not going well you're still you're still there it's still part of your life and and you can keep that running identity um but this like you said with 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 mentors or, or coaches the, the key is is to not is to keep you, yourself as an individual to have running as as your what you're going to do day in day out you know through the sleet and through the 80 degrees um but take take what you can and enjoy what the the encouragement the um the information and the, and, and the passion from those around you yeah i think that's one of the things i've learned the most from the runners that i've i've had the privilege of running with over the years and and all the coaches i've had is just the passion about the sport and there's no way that i would have fallen so hard in love with running if i wasn't surrounded by other people who loved running and i think anyone who's who's kind of struggling with their running they're not super motivated you know they they haven't yet really found their big reason why they run uh just surrounding yourself with other people and and i think today you know it's really great that you know we can find that support online you know we don't have to join a local club you know i know a lot of runners they're like the club practices at 6 p.m and i have kids so you know automatically i cannot run uh with this group and so i think by connecting with other runners in a lot of different environments uh it's a great way to not only learn more about the sport increase your knowledge and just become a more informed runner but just to stay motivated and to really build that passion for the sport and i think once you love running you're going to run forever it's going to be something that is just part of your day the same way that lunch is a part of your day yeah one thing that bridges both what you talked about now and, and another sort of surprise is the people I interviewed, these these very successful people, seemed more at peace with the the level of commitment they could have for for their running than than a lot of people I think at a that are lower success level. Um, the psych- psychological term for it that I found is that they have a harmonious passion. The idea that they do it because they want to do it and and they love doing it. It's not become part of the identity that they have to do it or they have to do it at a certain level in order to live up to who they are. Um, and I think that's what we see sometimes with, with people who burn out is uh, you, you talk about being at a club. You have to be in a certain group in the club or you've got to keep up with a certain person in the club or you don't feel good about yourself or you have to tell, you know, have a certain mileage or you're not. Um, all, these, all these people that have made it through the years and are still doing well had more of an idea of again this this is who I am today this is what I can bring to it you know, you're you're, you're going to have your third child you're not going to have the time that you had 2 weeks ago <laughs> and 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 that's okay um, I'm still going to give my best and I'm going to take the take the self esteem from the fact that this is what I do and I'm doing it the best I can not I, I can do it at this level a certain level that I have to live up to or even the harmonious passion it, is not the idea that oh I wish I could and and so you resent the rest of your life you know I wish I wish I didn't have to spend all this time with my family I could be training more no make your choices be honest about it and then do the best you can with what you've got 
Yeah, I think a big part of that is simply identifying with the right thing. So if you're constantly identifying with your PR, then that's going to be problematic when you're no longer capable of running your PR. So if you're constantly like, I'm a Boston qualifier, you know, I've run 259 in the marathon, you know, there's going to come a point where you're no longer able to run 259 in the marathon. Yeah. And I think a, a healthier relationship with running is, is thinking, you know, I'm a runner. I run marathons because I enjoy them. I enjoy the challenge and the thrill and just the entire experience. And it doesn't matter if I'm running 259 or 348. It's still a, a fun experience for me. And it's just something that I like doing. That's exactly. It's huge. You know, I've always loved just hanging out with runners. You know, they have a certain energy. They're alive. And, you know, I don't know of a lot of other folks who get up at like 5 a.m. in the dead of winter to go outside and run or, you know, wake up at 3 a.m. on a Sunday to, to compete in a marathon for fun. Runners just seem to do crazier things. And I love that. And so with you talking to so many runners who have been runners for life, did you notice this to be true? Uh, I guess what I'm asking is like, does running affect people in their day-to-day -day lives who have been doing it already for decades? Now, unequivocal, yes. Uh, you could not ha have met a, like you said, more energetic, more optimistic, uh, present and future-oriented group of, of you know, masters. You know, the, the youngest is what? 47 and oldest are 78, but but I could have been talking to to college students as far as the way they view the world, um, their, their uh, honesty with themselves, the, the like I said the optimism that that they can get better, they can they can still compete, they um, and then just just joie de vivre, just the the joy of that I love I love getting up in the morning, I love going for a run, you know wh whether that's uh, speed workout or a 10 miler or, or just my daily, you know, get out for half an hour every day. Um, and, and it's worthwhile and, and it's, and it's enjoyable and it makes me who I am. Um, but yeah, throughout life and very successful people as you would expect to in, in whatever they do, because they apply that same, that same passion and that same optimism to whatever they're doing and say, okay, I know I can get better. I can do this better. And that's, that's, there's, that's, you can't defeat that. Now, do you think runners become optimistic and honest with themselves and forward thinking, or do you think those types of people are just naturally drawn to running? It's probably some of both, but I really do think that running in this process, I said, you know, the, the humility with hunger um, taught them a lot of, of this, that the, the idea that I can, you know, daily process, um, one of my favorite quotes is from um, Mark Helprin's Soldier of the Great War. And he says, if you really want to enjoy life, you must work quietly and humbly to realize your delusions of grandeur. I think that's what, <laughs> love that's what runners have learned, that you, you can set these huge goals out there and you work quietly and humbly day by day and you actually get there. Um, and running teaches you that. Um, and it's pretty hard to, again, it's hard to defeat that. It's hard to, to get rid of the optimism um, of someone who can say, I, I can get better. Um, and, and then I think the, also then the, the, the humility of saying, I know there's people that are, are better, that, that there's not, there's not a hubris of, again, that I'm, I'm at this level, especially if you're going to make it to be a 50, 60, 70 year old runner. Um, it's just, uh, well, yeah, you respect 
that others are in in growth process too. That all of us are are just doing our best. We're not we're not you know winners and losers. Is we we're all in process. All right, Jonathan, you've convinced me to keep running for as long as I can. <laughs> I guess I guess I'll I'll stick with it. Awesome. I I, I wouldn't expect any less. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, for, for folks listening, Jonathan's new book is available now for pre-order on Amazon. And uh, I actually made it super easy for you if you want to check it out. You can just go to strengthrunning.com slash Jonathan. And you'll go straight to the order page on Amazon. You can check out all the details of Run Strong, Stay Hungry. Check out the table of contents. It really is a great book for the runners who want to keep running for the rest of their lives and they don't want to burn out. They don't want to get so injured that they can't do so anymore. So Jonathan, thank you so much for uh, being here and sharing your knowledge. I really hope a lot of runners uh, do check out your book. So uh, let's see if we can get more seniors on the starting line. <laughs> it's my pleasure. And uh, it's it's encouraging to hear someone like you embracing so many of the concepts, both personally and, and as a coach. Oh, thanks, Jonathan. I always just try to do what I think is best for runners in general. And then if I'm doing some of that for my own running, then that's uh, that's probably a good thing, too. Exactly. Great. Thanks for having me. And there's my discussion about lifetime running and longevity in the sport with Mr. Jonathan Beverly. Don't forget to look up his book at strengthrunning.com slash Jonathan to help you in your own running journey. All right, let's do something a little different before you head out today. Let me just talk a little bit about my own personal test results from the Inside Tracker blood testing service. So they're sponsoring today's episode, and if you want to get a similar blood test that I got, you can use code STRENGTHRUNNING, which is not case-sensitive at all, at checkout, and you'll save 10% on any tier of their analytics service. So I got the ultimate package. Just go to InsideTracker.com, and you'll see all of them. And I had this done a few months ago, and the good news is that it looks like I'll be around for a little while. My results were mostly pretty great. I had some borderline high cholesterol, which has been a recurring theme for me over the last decade or so, but for the most part, I didn't see any red flags either for my general health or for my own running performance. So if you check out Inside Tracker, you'll want to focus on markers of overtraining or any indication that your internal chemistry is sabotaging your training. So specifically, this means you want to look for low iron or low ferritin. That's going to contribute to any feeling of uh, overwhelming fatigue or burnout. It'll also contribute to overtraining. Testosterone should also be in the normal range if you want to both perform well and recover adequately. It's really important. Now, the stress hormone cortisol should be in the normal range or else you're really risking overtraining or being overstressed. If any of those markers are out of whack and you're deep in training, you're getting ready for a PR attempt, it really makes a lot of sense for you to try and get those markers into the normal ranges and then you'll race a lot faster. So the one issue that I had with my results is that I had high SHBG or sex hormone binding globulin and it's a protein that carries testosterone around the body and too much of it can actually inhibit testosterone function. So what does this actually mean for me? First, it wasn't exorbitantly high, so I'm not really going to worry about it too much. I also have normal levels of testosterone and free testosterone. I feel great, and I'm not noticing any other negative problems because of it. So 
I'm not too worried. Now, I did talk to a doctor who wasn't very concerned about this. So, you know, as always, check with your doctor about the results of your inside tracker test. Uh, but that test can give you a lot of insights into what's going on inside your body so that you can then prioritize your training. If you're gearing up for a PR attempt, a Boston qualifying marathon, or otherwise a demanding goal, it can give you a real added advantage. I really enjoy the service, uh, especially the suggestions for improving any of your biomarkers that aren't in the optimal zones. It's also super easy to do. And hopefully with discount code STRENGTHRUNNING, uh, you'll see the real benefit here for you as well. So just use code STRENGTHRUNNING at checkout. You'll get 10% off any testing service. Just go to insidetracker.com. I'm Jason Fitzgerald, the host and head coach of Strength Running, and I'd like to thank you for listening today. Until next time.